Joining me today is an Iraq war veteran, a political analyst, and America's favorite black gay Republican, Rob Smith. Welcome to the Rubin Report. Thanks for having me, Dave. America's favorite black gay Republican. That's Absolutely. a lot of pressure to put in a Twitter bio. You know, it's a lot of pressure. I, I, I feel that um, about a year ago about this time, because I came out as conservative a year ago. And I came I, I, out as conservative. Came it's out a as fascinating phrase that we're going to. Talk a we'll bit get about. into that, yeah. absolutely. But when I came out, I said, I, I want something pithy and catchy and kind of funny because it's a joke, you yeah. know? America's favorite black gay Republican. I want there to be a sense of humor in it because as you know, you know, you use humor to bring people in, then you hit them with the facts. So a lot of people are gonna be going, wait a minute, wait a minute, these guys are supposed to hate identity mm -hmm. politics, but he's saying he's America's favorite black gay absolutely. Republican. Well, here's my thing with that, I think that there's, number one, all politics is identity politics. So everybody does identity politics. The left does it and the right does it. I think that since coming out as a conservative, the way I play identity politics is this. I'm black, I'm gay, I'm a rock world veteran, I'm all these different things, and they don't matter about my politics because I can be all of these things and still love America. Yeah. And the way the left plays identity politics is we hate you evil white men or, you know, this is my 72 genders or all this stuff. So I feel like they use identity politics not only in a super negative and controlling way, but as a way to, to get people's votes. It sucks, though, to kind of have to do a little bit of what they do to throw it in their face. Right. Because like any time I, I don't mention that I'm gay that often. Yeah. But any time that I do, I, I have no problem mentioning it. Like, yeah. I'm more than happy to talk about it. Yeah. But any time that I do, it really only is to throw the use, the way that they use gay people. Yeah. Uh, it's to throw that back in their face. Like, I have no, I don't want special credit for it. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, there's there's no special credit. I think that for me, when you get into my history and, you know, I'm an Iraq War veteran, I protested against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I came out at 19, or I came out at 19 kind of like to myself and a couple of friends of my mother, but when I got out of the military at around 21 years old, because I had to serve under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I said, I'm done with closets. So I'm gonna be out as gay. So being gay to me has always kind of been a political act. Yeah. And when I was protesting against Don't Ask, Don't Tell and getting arrested at the White House and doing all these different things, it was always a political act for me to be gay. So even coming out as a conservative and, and being on the right, and I'm, I'm proudly on the right, being gay is still a political act because I have to go into these spaces and say, I'm gay and this is why that matters and this is how we can change the party and change the idea of conservatism to bring more people in. Do you ever find that conservatives have problems with gay people? Because yes. people keep telling me that all these conservatives hate gay people, and I go to events all over the place, all over the country, yeah. all over the world, and I meet all these conservatives. And I'm not saying there are none. Yeah. Like, I have no doubt there's a certain sect of Bible thumpers, obviously, that still do. Or some people that have different religious beliefs. You know, Ben Shapiro, from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, not thrilled with gay marriage, yeah. but now takes a libertarian approach civilly, yeah. which I'm okay yeah. with. I don't need him to bow to my beliefs. Yeah. But I don't find that there's any real pushback against gay people from conservatives anymore. I just don't see it. This is what I've seen, and, and I've seen very, very little in the way of people having some problem with me being gay. The um, In my experience, and I've been, God, I, I spoke at the Metropolitan Republican Club in New York City, and I, and I speak at these Republican events all over the country, and it's not so much I have a problem with you being gay, it's some people say, um, one, one person came up to me and she said, you know, you're so good looking and, and you're black and, and you know, you're all these things like, why do you have to talk about the gay thing? 
And I told her, I was like, hmm. I talk about the gay thing because it's very important for me to talk about it because people need to know there are gay conservatives out there that follow me right now that are afraid to come out. Mm-hmm. And so I need to take this gayness to this space and let them know that it's okay and also let you guys know that you're missing out on a base of millions of voters yeah. um, by, by doing things that can even be construed as anti You think it's one of those things where it's sort of, you have to do it so that it can get to the point that you don't have to do it? Is yes. that really... Yes. Yeah. And I was having the, um, this conversation with, with Candace, and I shared this at the Blexit rally over the weekend as well. Um, doing identity politics, you do it now so that at a certain point we don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So we have to say that I'm a gay Republican or I'm a black Republican or I'm a gay black conservative or whatever you want to say, because as Americans, we have to break all that stuff down and, and figure out what our identity as Americans is. And, and that's the point for me. This episode of The Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it is their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravo company USA. And now back to the show. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about what it's like coming out as a conservative, as a gay black man, the rest of it. But let's just back up all all together. Tell me a little bit about growing up, family, that kind of thing. So I am from Akron, Ohio. One of the biggest... um, things that people like to say to discredit black conservatives is that we were all born wealthy. We were all born upper, upper middle class, and, and what we're doing is is we're just trying to protect our privilege. Right. I'm from Akron, Ohio. So you weren't in Bel Air. I was not in Bel Air, all right? <laughs> I was in Akron, Ohio, yeah. and check the stats on Akron, Ohio. Anybody that doesn't know where that is, um, went to the worst, one of the worst public school systems in the state. You can look on the website right now, Akron Public Schools are rated D+. So I came from a a single, you know, mother household. You know, I I came from all this stuff. And my mother tells me this story. Now, I was too young to remember, but obviously I went to kindergarten in a school that was in my neighborhood. And my mother tells me the story about going to see me in kindergarten one day. And it was this, you know, it was a 99% black school. She just, the people were just running around crazy. And she said, I had to pull you out of that school because I knew you weren't gonna learn anything. Wow. Sent me to school all the way across town. 
um, the school was was mostly white. That doesn't make it better. What made it better was the property taxes, and it was just a, a more funded school. So I was able to get that kind of base. Went back to my side of town for middle school and high school, which was just a terrible experience. I, and I tell people all the time when they ask me about you know sort of things in, in the world and Western civilization and all that, I'm like, look, I went to Akron Public Schools. There are so many things that I just do not know. Um, and so I had that experience, but in those days and probably still today, somebody that looks like me that comes from where I come from, if I'm not dribbling a basketball or doing whatever, like they don't know what to do with you. Yeah. So I was not tracked into college. I wasn't tracked into any of these things. I graduated high school at barely, I think it was either 16 or barely 17, and just had no path. So I joined the military right out of high school because I, I needed a path, I needed a job, I needed something to do. I wish that I could say, and, and my military service is great, and I love this country, and that five years that I spent in the military is probably the, the greatest thing I'll ever do. But I can't lie and say that at 17 years old, like I was so patriotic, I wanted to serve my country. Like It, it was a way for me to move beyond. Yeah, wow. Yeah. All right, well, before we get to that, I can't let anyone mention basketball. I got, I got a boy. You got any skills? No, I don't. Nothing, I'm the worst nothing, black man ever. Nothing. I like am terrible at basketball. I don't want to brag, but I won most improved player of the New York City gay men's basketball. Did league you? In, I think 2012 when I was already like 37, which yeah. is the most improved player at 37. Yeah, so that's, that's not bad. That, that's pretty good. It's really funny that um, they have that gay basketball league there. There's a part of me that has always wanted to try it, but I know it'd be so <laughs> bad. And, Dude, and there, are, there are guys dunking. I mean, it's a serious, it's a serious league. And it's funny because I don't, my, I always, for me at least, and, and I wonder for you, like my sports and my sexuality had nothing to do with each other yeah. ever. Like yeah. I never brought my sexuality when I was out on the court in yeah. any way, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like that. The only reason I joined that league was at that point in my life when I, it, I came out late and I finally was like, ah, let me just meet some, I, I didn't really like like the, the bar scene or like. There's nothing there. Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't like that and I was like, oh, may, if there's happened to be some gay people that also like basketball, maybe, yeah. you know, I'll find some friends. And I did find some friends there. Yeah. And, it's like, and half of them, it's like, you're gay, really? Yeah. Like, and when those, a guy like dunks on you and you, you know. It's crazy. Like, and those, like some of those guys like almost went pro. Yeah. That's how good they yeah. are. The weird thing about kind of like being gay and not only am I gay, I also used to be a fat kid yeah. um, as well. So I Boy, you're really going for it here. I'm like you going got everything. For it. Did you have a limp at any point? I or? didn't have a Limp. No limp. I did not have a limp. Right, but right. it was like fat, like, this was like some fat black gay kid, was not athletic <laughs> at all. So I didn't discover, because there are some sports I'm good at. I played in, in the gay volleyball league in New York City for a couple of years, and now I'm, I'm a pariah since I came out as conservative. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. But I thought, uh, they're, I thought they're all tolerant. Yeah, right. What do you think? New, New York City gays? They're not, they're not, not very tolerant, tolerant of a, This no, is. Not so much. I am shocked. But I discovered that I am athletic. And I discovered that I'm great at volleyball, great at tennis, you know, like like lifting weights, like being in shape. But that's kind of what I discovered about myself, kind of like, I don't want to say later in life, but definitely post 30, yeah. that I actually, you know, have some sports skills. Yeah, all right, good. So when you joined the military, were you, were you already sort of out to yourself? Uh, now I'm talking about sexuality, not, yeah, not politics. Not politics, no, yeah. I was certainly not a conservative yeah. then. I was, I was out to myself, I think, in the way that a lot of gay teens are, you know, I knew that I was kind of like feeling a way about guys that I was supposed to feel about girls, but I don't know if I could really kind of quantify it in that way. Um, and when I went into the military, they actually, in those days, they actually asked you, are you gay? And I yeah. said, no. 
um, not only because I, I didn't know how to define it at the time, but also I knew that that was a barrier to, to what I wanted to do. You know, so being in the military, I came out to myself, you know, started exploring my sexuality, exploring all of that stuff. And, and like I said, when I got done with the military, coming out was like a political act. I was like, no more closets. Yeah. Were, were you finding other gay people in the military? Oh, like, yeah. What, like, what is that? What was that like then? I, I mean, now now where it's more accepted and don't ask, yeah. don't tell doesn't exist. And, yeah. And whatever. The thing about, um, it, it's really funny how it is now, is that there are entire Instagram accounts dedicated to gay guys in the military. Oh, is, one, is no, that it's, right? It's called Gay Military Dudes. And, uh-huh. I, and I love the fact that these these young gay men in the military are so open about you know their sexuality and they're posting thought pics and, and they're doing all this right. like great and, and, and you're saying the military hasn't crumbled since and, and it's not military, causing uh, demoralization or everyone's no, still okay we still everybody's still good okay but back then there was this this underground movement of of gay people gays and lesbians that were in the military and i remember the very first Pride I went to, I was um, I was stationed in Fort Carson, Colorado, so like right on Colorado Springs, and my very first Pride was Denver Pride. So I went there, uh, I think it was like maybe 19 or 20 at the time, and that was my first time being around uh, lots of other gay men at the same time, and it was the first time that um, you know, I was, I was, I was getting attention yeah. from men and, and like people were looking at me and I was right. like, oh, he's cute. And I was like, oh, so this is what this is like. Um, so there was a thriving underground gay culture in the military. How did, were you afraid to go out and go to a gay pride parade while you're absolutely. serving? Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's like, if don't ask, don't tell was tricky because it was not only you can't tell somebody that you're gay, but if you were discovered to be gay, then people would, um, you know, go up the chain of command and kick you out. But the thing about it is, and this is what we always realized that nobody would care because there were plenty of guys in my unit that that knew I was gay. And a uh, funny story, there was a club called I think it's now defunct called Hide and Seek in Colorado Springs. And they used to be open to people under 21 after 2 a.m. So I would be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, okay. yeah. It would be open at 21. Uh, it would be open to people under 21 after 2 a.m. because it'd be like open till 5. And um, they wouldn't be serving any booze. So I was young in the military. I was like maybe 20 years old. I would take a nap. At 10.30 at night, I would wake up at 1.30, I would put on, I had like like leather pants and a tank top. It was Jeez. insane, crazy. Um, and then drive to hide and seek and dance all night. And it was kind of, it was a more gay crowd, but it was mixed as well. And I saw a couple of my sergeants there. Wow. One time at the club. And they saw Did me. They saw you and. They saw me and, and they saw me and they were like, okay, this is interesting. And they saw me kind of like dancing with some redhead and, you know. Feeling my oats, yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Uh, feeling myself. But I remember being terrified that weekend that they were going to out me, that they were going to like tell my superiors and whatever. It never did. Well, but you had it on them too, right? I mean, No, they weren't gay. Oh. They were they were just like they were their girlfriends because it was the oh, after hours. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I just had a completely different story yeah, yeah, going yeah. on in my head for the last thirty seconds. Yeah, no, they were there with their girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, it oh, was oh, an oh. after hours spot. Oh, 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 yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I thought okay, okay. Well, and so they did. They didn't then, bust me out. And a lot of these guys are are still my my friends to this day, my Facebook friends, and they see all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm here, I'm there, I'm coming out as a Republican. I'm doing all this, and they're like, Smith, you know, we always knew you were gay. We just didn't care. Yeah, because you're a good soldier. So I know what most gay people feel about being in the closet, just how you can be as a person. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, you, you're, you're, I always felt like I was like lying all the time accidentally. Like mm-hmm. I was, it wasn't even intentionalized. People would ask me something and I could immediately, you know, where were you last night? And I could just lie without thinking, you know, it's yeah. a really, it's a really 
twisted, dark. It's not fun to think back on that kind it's of thing. Um, but for someone in the military, don't, yeah. don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Do you think that affected your ability to function as a as a soldier? And I think it did because the I think that to me the biggest thing about being closeted in the military was that it affected the relationships that I was able to have with my fellow soldiers. Mm -hmm. There was a wall there. And if I was able to just be gay and nobody cared, that wall wouldn't be there. And and it's so important when you're serving with people to be able to be close to them, like literally to be able to to bring your full self, self to work. Mm -hmm. Because not only were we serving together, I mean, we deployed together. You know, I did a tour in Kuwait. I did a tour in Iraq. These are the people that you're with. These are basically your family and you have to hide a part of yourself and all the times that they were hanging out or doing things that we could become closer I was separating myself from that because I knew that there was a part of me that I had to hide yeah. and so when I bring all of that stuff now to to being gay and, and being open as a conservative and everything it is so important for me to be open in that way because there I, I can't have that wall there between yeah. me and, and other conservatives and me and other people in the movement and the younger conservatives have been so, like they, these kids don't the, care yeah they don't care some of the older ones need to kind of be brought around a little bit but man they don't care yeah do you think it's just because young people somehow have started to embrace a more libertarian view of the world I mean it's like we've got sort of you know, crazy leftism on one hand, yeah, which seems yeah. to be catching fire all the time, yeah. and is really pushed on us by the media. Yeah. But then I see, and it's, I guess it's a little selected by by who invites me to these schools. Yeah. But I see such a strong libertarian like spirit with these yeah. kids. Not meaning that they're all politically libertarians at yeah. every level, but like they just they want to live their lives. They want to love who they love. They want to smoke whatever they want to smoke yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. And, and I'm very enthused by that. I, I think that the the generation right now they really do just they just want to let people live yeah and they want to let people do their thing they don't care about gay they don't care about transgender they don't care about any of these different things they just want to let people live and it's really funny like the conversation i had last night um at ucla i had an event and it's so funny because when I was protesting against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I was, I was you know, doing a lot of lecture work and I was talking with the young LGBT student groups and I was just like, you know, you can be anything you want to be, let's empower you, like let's do all this stuff. And I'm having these same conversations with young people who are afraid to come out as conservative. Same thing, Dave. Yeah, no, it is, all right, so all right, let's just dive into yeah, that then. So, yeah. Because I really do feel this now. Because I, I know what the closeted thing was like yeah. as a, as in terms of sexuality. Yeah. But I see this now, the amount of emails that I get and when I meet people on the street and they'll kind of whisper to me, you know. It's not even, they're not even saying, cons yeah, well they'll yeah. go, you Dave, and then they'll go, it's not even that they're saying they're a conservative yeah. per se. They're basically just saying they're not a progressive. Yes. That they're not, they don't come from the woke monster. Yes, you know yes. what I mean? And I, and they're walking around with that, that feeling that you described a moment ago yes. related to sexuality, where you can't be fully there with someone. Absolutely. And I think there are, there are quite literally, I think there are millions of people in the United States that are walking around in a, in a closeted state, yeah. not because they're Nazis or white supremacists yeah. or haters or yeah. racists, but just because they happen to have either some conservative beliefs or yeah. uh, some libertarian beliefs or something like that. And I see it all the time, and I'm sure you probably get 10 times as many messages as I do, but you see it, and when you go have these conversations, it is the same conversations that I was having yeah. with young gay kids that were afraid to come out. I, I had a conversation with a kid last night. He was just like, man, how do I come out to my friends as conservative? Or how do I come out to my friends as somebody who's like not a leftist? 
And this is what I always say to them, you know, the real ones will stick around, the fake ones will go. I, I promise you that. And when, like a year ago, I remember sitting, I was visiting my best friend in Vegas, and I was thinking about, I know from my experience, you know, being very prominent in, in the Don't Ask, Don't Tell thing, that when you come out as something like you're coming out to make a statement and it has to be a media moment and you have to get your face out there because that's what gives other people the strength to come yeah. out. And I was like, man, if I don't do this, somebody else is going to do this because I know I'm not the only black gay Republican out there. <laughs> I, I have fans that are that are black gay Republicans yeah. and, and Latina lesbian conservatives and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I was like, if I don't do this, somebody else is going to do this. And somebody needs to do this because these people need to know that it's okay. And when I take the hits and you take the hits and Candace takes the hits and all these other people takes the hits, it makes it easier for these other people to come out. What if I told you you could get key insights from the top four books you've been putting off reading in the time that it'll take you to finish this podcast? Blinkist solves your long list of must-reads once and for all. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on your phone. With Blinkist, you'll expand your knowledge and learn more in just 15 minutes than you can in almost any other way, plus you can listen anywhere. Listen to Blinkist while you're driving to work and your mind is open, fresh, and caffeinated. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like thinking grow rich to current bestsellers like Tools of Titans. My personal recommendation is to check out Dr. Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos, because in times like these, an antidote to chaos is just what we need. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Just go to Blinkist.com slash Ruben to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Ruben to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash Ruben. Today's episode is once again brought to you by the guys over at Vincero Watches. You've heard me talk about this company before. They are my new go-to brand for affordable quality watches. I got my Vincero about a month ago and honestly I wear it all the time. I just look more confident and polished when I have it on. No matter what I pair it with, it makes all of my outfits look more stylish. No matter where I go, I get compliments on it. If you're like me, you won't want to leave the house without it. Vincero is unparalleled, especially for the price. I don't don't know how they managed to craft watches of this caliber and keep the cost so affordable. Just for my listeners, Vincero is offering an extra 15% off. Go to vincerowatches.com slash Ruben and use code Ruben for an extra 15% off. I'm wearing the Chrono S, which is more of a dress watch, but they have dozens of watches to choose from, including styles that are a little fancier than mine, but you could wear if you have a wedding to attend. They also have watches that are waterproof, so to be sure to check them out, even if you're a sportier guy you really can't make a wrong choice. They have over 15,000 five-star reviews, so you can trust whatever your order is going to be is going to exceed your expectations. Grab one for yourself and step up your style game for summer. Pick up one as a graduation gift or even a Father's Day gift. I know I'd be stoked if I got a Vincero. I really love this brand, so I went ahead and picked out my five top watches. You can go to vincero.com slash Ruben to see my favorite selections. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com slash Ruben. And don't forget to use code Ruben to get that 15% off. And now back to the show. So I've asked a lot of my guests that have taken those hits yeah. this question. I usually ask it at the end, but what do you think it is about you that allows you to, to want to take the hits? Or maybe not even want to, that you 
do, whether you want to or not. I'm telling you, <laughs> the army built something that is indestructible. I, it, indestructible. I, I served for five years. I saw some things in Iraq. I saw some things overseas. And, and not even out, outside of that, what the basic training does is it just builds you up into somebody that has a lot of discipline, that can take a lot of hits. And I know enough about media and I know enough about the people that are, are making the moves right now. I know that it is important for me to do this because and I'm telling you, Dave, and you've probably seen the shift in the past five to seven years since you've been doing this and have really been blown up and traveling all the, all the world. There's a shift that's going on. Yeah. And I believe it's real. It's real. And in three to five years, me being a black gay conservative, it's just going to be like, you know, whatever. And I hate the fact that the gay community, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like, I'm excommunicated now, you know, so I'm not getting um, invites to the GLAD hey, media They ain't thrilling me either. Yeah, you, yeah. You wanna, we should start our own awards. We totally should, <laughs> the, 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 the gay free thinker yeah. awards, you know? But you get excommunicated and they're, they're very high level people that, I mean, I used to get invited to, to all the stuff in New York City because I was a gay person in the media. And when I came out last year, it was like, it was like silence. So what does that really tell you about these organizations it, and sort of like GLAAD and these other organizations? That yeah. are, they're, they're for gay people, yeah. right? They're supposed to be for gay people and, and if they subscribe to intersectionality, they should be for black people yeah, and the yeah. rest of it. But you're saying you were in that, they loved you. Yeah. You come out as conservative. We're done with you. What it tells me is number one, that these organizations are not for all LGBTQ people, they're for LGBTQ um, Democrats. Yeah. First of all, these are leftist organizations. People really need to understand this. Like yeah. I know I say it all the yeah. time, but like I think that, because people just think, Glad is for gay people. Yeah, this is for this per, and it's like no, that's not really what's going on here. That's but not what's but going it on. really takes work to get people to fully understand why that yeah. is true. And there used to be, and we talked about this a little bit before we started before we started filming. There used to be a part of me that wanted nothing more than to be kind of like a gay celebrity. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I get to go, I get to go to the Glad Media Awards, and I get to go to the <clears throat> HRC red carpets, and I get to, to be. And now I realize that what I'm doing right now is so much bigger than any of that stuff. And I'm not I'm doing this not for fame or because the concept of fame has been very strange to me in, in grappling with with this newfound attention. But it's not about being with some D-list um, gay celebrities on the red carpet. It's certainly not about being with, even though I, I love By the way, the usually the ones movies. that they're putting on the red carpet, they're not even gay half the time, right? Oh yeah. I, I told you, I used to yeah. do these red carpets when I had a show on Al Q, and I was, yeah. so I was interviewing people. I was on the other side of the red carpet, and mostly it was just housewives of New York, drunk, these drunk plastic women that are like, oh, I love gays. Let me yeah. tell you something, and I can tell you a story, and she will remain nameless, Yeah. but I was after, actually right? at, Huh? You'll tell me after. Oh, I can tell you the name yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was at one of these award shows, and this was obviously before I came out when I was still getting invited. And this person was a, just a drunken, sloppy mess. Yeah. And I'm just like, how is this celebrating gay people? How is this elevating us? And so what you have is... With the glads of the world, this is about bullying Hollywood celebrities into thinking that you know what if you don't if you don't show up to our red carpet events, you're not supporting you know the the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. So that's what 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 that's all about. Um, the HRC is 
obviously a leftist organization, like very much so a leftist organization. And what irritates me about this entire thing is that these organizations were not started as leftist organizations. Right. They weren't supposed to be leftist well, organizations. Well, because at that time they wanted real equality. Yeah. They wanted equality under the law. They wanted the things that we have right now. Mm-hmm. But to continue to get funding, to continue to be data centers for the Democratic Party, they have to go with whatever far-left craziness. And it's the intersectionality cult. And it's it's being lectured by a, a queer Muslim at the Glad Media Awards about how <laughs> gays aren't inclusive enough for, for Islam and and about you know how how the LGBT community needs to accept undocumented people. It's just like all this stuff that was never it's never what our movement was about. And at the same time, for me as a gay man, I know that um, HIV AIDS rates among young black gay men are still exploding. Um, we have a huge problem with meth. Like there's real stuff still going on. So what should they have done then? Was there a moment that there should have been a course correction? So say gay marriage gets passed, yeah. don't ask, don't tell is gone. Yeah. What do you think the organizations, if they had done it right, I mean, is it, is it do they close up shop? Do they? Well, that's what, I think that's what they were afraid of. They were afraid of now that, that we have this quote unquote true equality, they have to close up shop. Chris, Chris uh, Rock, I mean, one of his great lines, the cops need a certain amount of crime. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think that what happened after don't Ask, Don't Tell, Repeal, and Marriage Equality were two of the biggest gay rights wins of our generation, like I think of our lifetime. And after that happened, I think that they just needed something else. They needed some more funding. They needed to, to continue to be relevant. So they've gone into all of this intersectionality, far left insanity. And what I see from being so open and being a gay conservative out here is that there is a large group of gays and lesbians that are conservative that want nothing to do with the leftist nonsense. They don't want to vote with their sexual orientation. They want to vote for their values. They want to vote for their, with their pocketbooks. You know, they, they, they want to vote based on who they are. So you're saying, let me get this straight. Yeah. Gay people are just like everybody else. Just like everybody else, Dave. Well, just sure. like everybody this else. Crazy, it. right? <laughs> Nuts. Insane. Yeah, and you'd think, so where, where are the, the right gay organizations? Are, are there any? I mean, like the Long Cabin Republicans, are, are there anybody that you're out there and you're like, oh, you guys are doing some good grassroots okay. work related to I, gay issues, if yeah, any remain? It's always, it's never going to be the HRCs and the GLADs of the world. It's always the grassroots organizations. It's your, 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 um, Columbus Pride, you know, it's your the Brooklyn Community Pride Center. It's like these are the organizations that our money really needs to go to because these organizations are doing work on the ground to like give young LGBT people access to, to jobs and education and all the stuff that the GLADs and the HRCs of the world claim that they're fighting for. But really, they're just paying a lot of big wigs. Six, like insane six-figure salaries and, and trying to get Madonna on a red carpet. And God love Madonna. We all yeah. love Madonna. <laughs> but that's not the word. Yeah. So I always try to elevate the smaller organizations because they need the time and the money more than the big ones. For the record, I'm more of a Tina Turner guy. You're more of a Tina Turner? Madonna, yeah. I hear she gives an amazing show. I haven't been yet. I've never seen... Well, I don't think she's going live anymore. I think she's done touring. Is she and done? She, she's I think she's, like, she moved to like Sweden or something. Yeah. I think she gave up her U.S. citizenship and and she's just riding it out. Man. Yeah. But um, I, I, what I will say about Madonna, the gays are going to kill me. Uh-oh. I saw her one time, and it wasn't great. It I was saw her a- once. New York uh, 
Confessions, Confessions on the Dance Floor? It wasn't, it was MDNA. Uh, ah. Oh, that's the one. That's I think the that's one. The, that's, yeah. That was the whole dance album, right? We, no, which, Confessions was the dance that, album. Okay, so that's MDNA the was like in, in 2012. I think I was on MDMA when I went to when that. When you went one. there? That's what it was, okay. I paid a lot of money for those tickets. We were at Madison Square Garden, somewhere out in Jersey. Oh, I was at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I was way up there in the rafters, and I was just like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'll wait till I'll wait till the the farewell Vegas tour where she finally does all the things that people want to hear. Right, right. Well, yeah. age wise, she's she's getting there. Yeah, but you know, she keeps it together. She keeps it together. She does. She does. All right, let's but, uh, let's talk a little bit about. I've heard Candace talk about how yeah. how most black people actually are conservatives, mm-hmm. um, but they sort of don't know it or they can't accept it because of the way the media has treated black people, that the default position is you must be a Democrat. Yeah. Do, do you sense that? Um, I, I sense that. And to get into that, you really have to understand how deeply entrenched this idea um, that black people have to be Democrats is. And, and I said this a little bit uh, uh, on the Vice thing that I did. We have black celebrities, entertainers, ball players, athletes, from the top of the charts to the insta-thought with 10,000 followers. These are all people that are pushing leftists. You know, mm-hmm. they're pushing leftist tactics. And black people, we, more so than I think other races, we look for representation in media. And we look for representation in pop culture. And these are our heroes. These are the people that we want to be like. And that's one of the reasons why this idea that we have to be on the left is so firmly entrenched. So why do you think that is, looking for it sort of elsewhere? Do you think that has something to do with the the black family and some of the stuff that Larry Elder would talk about? It has everything to do with what Larry Elder is talking about. Larry Elder will tell you, and I'm pretty sure he did, that the number one issue... Larry Elder kicked the shit out of me. That's what woke me up. Yeah. Yeah. But Larry Elder will tell you that the number one problem in the the black community is is black fatherlessness, right? That we don't have men in the homes. And so when there's not a man in the home, when there's not a man to to raise that young man in the home, they look to athletes, ball players, the, the Colin Kaepernick's, whoever... And so when Colin Kaepernick, just to give an example, is some kid's hero, right? And he sees Colin Kaepernick Mm -hmm. taking a knee for Black Lives Matter. And that's where he's getting his politics from. Because that kid doesn't know who I am. That kid certainly doesn't know who Larry Elder is. And the fact that that kid is not going to know who Larry Elder is is a shame. You know what I mean? And so that's the message that we get even though black people do tend to be a little bit more conservative. Just in terms of if you, for example, said that black people need fathers in the home and we need to stop having kids out of wedlock and we need to start doing all of these things that will elevate ourselves, you're a racist. I'll be told I'm racist. I right. would say I would say everyone, regardless of race, right. should have those things to Absolutely. the best of their ability. Not to say it can't happen otherwise. You just said you were you were raised by your mother. I was you, you turned out pretty good. So I of turned course out there good. are those outlier cases. Yeah. But at the same time, I was I, I went to the military for five years. Mm-hmm. And so the military taught me, the military gave me a male influence, um, multiple male influences, the military taught me how to be a man. The military taught me discipline. The military taught me courage. The military taught me self-control. The military taught me reliance. All of the things that a father is supposed to teach you. And so now me as a as a gay black man saying these things, you know, if you're a white person, you know, you're a white supremacist, you're whatever, but I'm sorry about that. You know, yeah. I'm I'm the coon, I'm the Uncle Tom, I'm whatever. And there is this very huge movement of like very far left gay black men who it seems like they have these large online platforms 
And it seems like their entire goal in life is to just tear down mm. straight black men or, or tear down the idea of masculinity or tear down the idea that our boys need men in the homes to teach them how to be men. So they want to tear that down. And when I look at their platforms and I look at the things that they say, and sometimes they, they come after me and I ignore it because none of those people are my enemy. There's nobody that is out there that's a public figure that looks like me that is not my enemy. That is my enemy. But, yeah. These people are not my enemy. But when I look at the platform that they have, I say, you have so many people listening to you. Why are you always preaching divisiveness and hatred? Why are you trying to tear down black men? We should be lifting each other up. We should be empowering each other because, you know, our community needs it. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that mostly, and it's not just with, say, those black men, but anyone that buys in to the far left ideology they want conformity yes. at the end. They, there is some sort of, as I say all the time, Peter Bogosian, who's been on the show many times, calls this postmodern ideology a secular religion. Mm -hmm. And they don't want apostates. And they well, especially don't want apostates that look like you. That's crazy. I've never, I've never really heard that. I mean, I've talked about that idea in some of my lectures, but I've never heard it said quite like that. Because this is my thing. And, and one of the best things that happened for me over the past year is that I found religion. And I found God. Because I will tell you, and you probably know, there, and, and I don't know, I don't know what your religion is, yeah. but for me, there's a lot of people that are running after Twitter followers and fans and Instagram followers and fame and money and all this other stuff. And not there's not an amount of Twitter followers or fame or any of that stuff that is gonna fill that hole that you're looking to fill. And you mean Twitter followers don't fill the existential void. Yeah, they is that what not, you're telling me? They do not. And you, the black you, hole of existence yeah, is not filled by Instagram likes. It is not. Jesus. And you've got like ten times yeah. my following. <laughs> and when when things started taking off a little bit last year, like when when my life started getting bigger and in some other ways, I had to make things smaller. Mm -hmm. um, and so I made my circle smaller, and, and I tried to get closer with my husband and my best friends. But I also found God. And it is. Were, were you not religious before? Or were you not? Were you were you specifically not a believer before? Or? No, not not at all. I was raised in the church, African Methodist Episcopal. Yeah. Um. So the AME Church, like I was there. And when you're young and black <clears throat> in the church, church is a full like an all day event. I'm there at 10 a.m. for Sunday school, and then you do the service, and then it's 2:30 dinner. You're like you're not out of there until after dark. But I think that in my first 11 years in the city, when I was kind of doing some of the don't ask until activism and trying to find my path. I was looking for fulfillment in all of those things that I told you before. And when I started getting those things, I realized that, not that it wasn't enough, but there needs to be something else to ground me. And one of the biggest things that the, the super far left tells young gay people is that God is your enemy and Christians are your enemy and evangelical Christians wanna put you in conversion camp and just all of this crazy stuff to separate them from religion so that this far left ideology becomes their religion. And I, I, I say that, you know, God is a gift in my life right now. And I say that, and, and I'm not embarrassed by that anymore. And I don't feel like that's something that I should be ashamed to talk about, even yeah. as, a, as a gay man. Somebody described me on, on Twitter, when, and I think it's funny, and they said, um, Former military leftist turn right wing Bible thumping <laughs> Trump tard. And I thought that that's that a was, lot of words. That's I thought a lot that, of words. that was hysterical. Yeah. I showed that to my husband. We both cackled. I don't hear you Bible thumping. No, I mean, 
I'm not. You may be a Trump tart and a, you know, blah, yeah, blah, blah. yeah, 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 right wing Trump tart. I don't Bible thump. I just, I talk that, I talk about religion in my life and how it's grounded me and how it's become just a really powerful guiding force. Yeah. And it, it is fulfilling and it is grounding in a way that, let me tell you something as a young gay man, like, like all the sex, all the partying, all that stuff, like I did it all. And there's, there's nothing in that. And for me, it is, is becoming grounded in religion and God. Do you wish that that double chin would just go away? From now until Mother's Day, your wish is our command with Genucel's outrageous Mother's Day sale. Double chins, sagging jawlines, and turkey necks are real problems until now. Introducing the new Genucel jawline treatment formulated with MDL technology. Robin S. from Lubbock, Texas wrote, I just put that jawline treatment on my neck like two or three days ago. This is the best my neck has looked in over 20 years. Several people told me to my face that I look young, I'm blown away. Sure, you could use expensive or harsh treatments to look young, but why would you do that? This is the last week to get the Genucel jawline treatment absolutely free when you order the classic Genucel for eye bags and puffiness. And with its instant effects, see results in the first 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Go to Genucel.com, that's Genucel.com, or text Ruben to 77453 for a surprise Mother's Day premium gift with all orders. Text Ruben to 77453 or visit Genucel.com, that's Genucel.com. And now back to the show. Yeah. Do you think a lot of gay people have like an extra struggle when it comes to yes. sort of the existential questions? Because yes. I, I know I definitely did. Like that you you are something that society tells you at least, you know, how old are you? Huh? How old are you? Huh? Am, I, am I allowed to ask how old you are? Um, did I just I'm get a, to the one question that I can't ask? That's the one question you can't <laughs> I'm in my 30s, Dave. You're in your 30s. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's yeah. how it is. Well, I, as an elder, I am 42 years old. Okay. So, you know, when I was in, say, high school and college, you know, this way before gay marriage, this yeah. way, you know, during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I, I never really saw sort of a functional future. I, yeah. I, it's not that I saw a dysfunctional future, I just saw no future. I was just like, I'm now, and I'm just gonna keep living now, yeah. so, so, something like that. Yeah. Um, but I do think for a lot of gay people, it causes like this weird uh, belief schism yeah. or something like that. So it's interesting to hear that just in the last year, yeah. you've come back to some of this stuff. I, I and I think a lot of people have, by the way. I think they are, and, and, and I want them to. And it's like, so we, we tell the, I guess, I don't, I don't wanna say right-wingers anymore because I guess I'm a right-winger now, yeah. but they always say that you know you can't call gay a lifestyle because it's my sexual orientation, it's not a lifestyle, but there are elements of it that are very lifestyle oriented. The, the party lifestyle, the circuit party culture, the gay culture, like all of that other stuff. Um, I don't like any of that stuff. Yeah. I, I like the Golden Girls. I, who doesn't like the Golden yeah. Girls? I love That's them. like gay yeah. enough for me, you know what I mean? I watch three hours of the Golden Girls on a Sunday morning, I'm very happy. But the cool thing right now is that people like you <clears throat> and people like me can reach these young people and they can see something that is outside of all of that messiness. And I come to it as not somebody that judges it, but as somebody that did it all. Now, I never did drugs. Yeah. I, was never, I was never a druggie. I don't even like smoking weed. They say that people that are, um, that are a little neurotic, and I'm a little neurotic, they say weed doesn't go well with yeah. us, and it doesn't go well with me. Yeah. So I never did the drugs. You haven't found the right indica, but I get it. You're a conservative now, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. No, it's not even that, because some, <laughs> and it's really funny, I'm like to the right of some people on marijuana legalization, but that's a, a whole nother issue. Oh, we, could, we, we, we can go there, but yeah. go, ahead, go ahead. But I did all the partying. I did 
all the circuit parties and I traveled and kissing boys and having lots of sex. It's like I did all that. And I fundamentally know that there's nothing there. And I think that the problem with reaching these kids right now is that I am like, it, it feels lonely because it really does feel like I'm one of maybe three or four people that like have these large platforms and obviously you as well. But they see people that are like, you know, they see the drag queens and the Hollywood celebrities and all that other stuff. I just really want these kids to see that they can have a, a more grounded life. And not that I'm trying to be anybody's role model in a way, because I'm like, my thing is, I did all the mess so you don't have to. Yeah, I, I feel very, even though I didn't do the mess, I mean, I did do my own mess in a way, yeah. like, and I did, I did do the drugs and I did do all that, but I, I wasn't really into the scene, let's say, but yeah. I do feel that too. I, I'm not trying to be anyone's role model at mm -hmm. all, 100%. You were setting not, and yourself I, up for failure. Yeah, and I, I lived through, if anything, I would say I lived through shit to get to where I am so that mm -hmm. hopefully, the next, that, that gay kid that's 18 doesn't have to do it. You know or what I mean? Or live through and, less shit. Yeah, or live, right, because everyone's got shit. One yeah, yeah, another, yeah. Right, and the people that came before me lived through far more than that, so. Yeah. Be, but there's an interesting parallel here with the way Hollywood treats all of this, because mm -hmm. you mentioned something about, just a moment ago, you mentioned how uh, the, that black culture puts more emphasis on Hollywood and these figures and everything. And I was thinking like, even just in the Oscars last year, that yeah. Black Panther yeah. was nominated for an Oscar. Now Amazing. I've seen every, so, so I'm, I think we're gonna have a little difference here because uh -oh. I, I've seen every Marvel movie. I just saw Endgame a couple days ago. Yeah, uh, this one's gonna make me go see that this weekend. Yeah, I, I don't wanna say anything right now, but, um, but I've seen every one of the movies. I love superhero movies, I love Star Wars, I love all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Black Panther was a very average movie. There, there was, in my opinion, there was nothing. Racist, yeah, it, well, for exactly. shame, for shame, racist. Well, guess what? Larry Elder said it too, yeah. but, he, but he's a self-hating black guy, so you, oh, just, yeah, yeah. you just can't win here. But, but my point is that it was, if, within the scheme of superhero movies, yeah. that none of them get nominated for anything, yeah. and that's fine that it was very average, in my opinion. It was just a very average movie, and it got nominated for all these things, and I saw the media was like, ah, see, Black Panther got it. Like, like it was some major win. Yeah, That that would somehow make people more equal or feel yeah, better, yeah. or now we can look at the numbers and go this many black films this, yeah, and this many white yeah. films this. And I was like, it just seems to me that the aim is yeah. just so off yeah. of, of where you should go for the prize, and the real prize. No, and, and I agree with you on that. First of all, I love Black Panther. Yeah. I, I really do, like I'm a, I'm a huge fan, yeah. so I can't agree I, with I you I thought it was that. perfectly fine, but yeah. not an Oscar award-winning nominated you, film. I think that you make a really good point in minority communities, and specifically <clears throat> the two groups that I'm a part of, blacks and, and, and gay people, we always look for representation in the media as some sort of barometer of progress. And that's a trap. It's Be a huge it, trap. It's a big trap. Why don't because, Chinese people do it? Yeah, because they're focused on making money, and when I and, and I'm all about it. And when I go give these lectures and I tell people that the biggest way for any group of people to achieve any kind of power is, is financially. It is not through Oscar nominations and that stuff is great and it's amazing, but it's 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 kind of like these are these are false idols because Black Panther is is great for visual representation and it's great that all those people are on the stage and I personally think it's an amazing movie. Yeah. But what that does for the young black kid that's struggling in the high school that I went to right now, not much, not much, right? Yeah. Um, and and we do it as as gays and lesbians as well. If you know, if somebody comes out and look at the look at the the the, the Buddha judge thing right now, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Look at how people, and this is somebody that is, I mean, I'm not a Buttigieg hater at all, but I, I, it seems to me, you know, I, I see the game, I see what's going on, and I see the way that he picked the fight with Pence to, to ingratiate himself to the far left. There's like, I get it. You yeah. know, I see it. But just the idea that any power comes from media representation, it's, it's false hope, and it also separates the people from what should be the end goal. Because I think that empowerment for any of our communities only comes through entrepreneurship. Look at this, Look, that, that is your name on that sign. You're an entrepreneur. And if somebody had given me the message about entrepreneurship mm. when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, God knows where I'd be by now. And one of the biggest things that I've gotten out of, out of becoming a conservative and kind of moving over to the right is the fact that entrepreneurship and capitalism is not a bad thing. And my, both of our communities need more of it, but especially my black community. We need more entrepreneurship. We need more job creators. We need to stop looking for representation in the media to, to, to elevate ourselves or, or to make us feel good about ourselves. So when you see then the Democrats, so just in the last couple of weeks, yeah. uh, there's now this debate suddenly about reparations. And I, I saw the video of Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren yeah. talking about reparations, and yeah. she's gonna commission a panel about reparations. And my first thought, the first thing that just popped into my head as I was watching it was, holy shit, Candace did it. You know what I mean? Like, whatever anyone thinks of Candace, she created enough of a crack mm -hmm. in that layer that uh, that caused black people to either be completely afraid of saying they're conservatives or yeah. just, just say that they're not Democrats. Yeah, yeah. That now the Democrats are like, oh shit, what do we got left? Here's money. Could you take some money? Yeah, yeah and, how about and, some money? In the words of the great Candace Owens, fear and handouts is what they have to offer black people this cycle. and. It is no mistake, first of all, that Donald Trump got more African-American votes than the two previous Republican nominees combined. That is just a fact. And it is no mistake that, you know, what, you know, people say a lot about the Blexit movement and they say it's not real, it's not that. And what I tell people is that you're going to see Republicans make a bigger play for the black vote than you have ever seen before, I think, in the history of this country. And it's not going to come through fear and handouts. It's going to come from talking to the people that are the real job creators and the real entrepreneurs and saying that, these policies will help you create. And the fact that reparations is even a conversation right now among the Democrats means that they're scared. Um, I, I just did uh, a, a video for, for Turning Point about reparations and, and not to spoil any of that, but none other than Bayard Rustin, who is one of the architects of the March on Washington, a huge civil rights leader, and who, by the way, was black and gay in the 60s. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. interviewed Baird Rustin about reparations in 1969, and he said, it's, he said this idea is ridiculous. And the quote is something like, if my great-great-grandfather you know, picked cotton, then reparations are owed to him. But he's dead, and nobody owes me anything. Yeah. But this is how they're going to try to buy the black vote. It's also just a crazy way of uh, dividing us yeah. against each other. I was at a, a cousin's wedding on my husband's side this past weekend and uh, was with a, a young guy who's 21, 22, and he was telling me about how woke it is in college now. This is, a, this is a kid who grew up, his mother died when he was very young. He grew up, he had no money, bunch of different homes, mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of crazy history in the family. And it's like, 
the idea that this kid has privilege because mm-hmm. he's white and we're gonna take from him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in essence, that's what he was yeah, saying to me. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't specifically about reparations, but just this idea that this kid is somehow guilty yeah. or somehow privileged just because of the skin color, having nothing to do with everything he's lived through, mm-hmm. but that's what they're pushing on everybody. Now. I mean, you know, that's what they're pushing and, and there's not a lot of pushback to that idea. And I just feel that there's a correction going on right now and there's a correction because you're seeing a lot more conservatives that are younger and browner and whatever and there's a really different movement right now and the 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 leftists it's like i call it the intersectionality cult the intersectionality cult will eat itself because there's all these things that you cannot say on the left right now and there's somebody who who i'm not going to name but this is this person is it has a platform as as a feminist right and and this is a male feminist and i'm like great you know do what you got to do but don't call me transphobic for defending women's sports or women's spaces or or lesbians who are now who now feel pressured in, into having relationships with transgender women. Yeah. Um, when when you call yourself a feminist and you're not standing up for for lesbians and not standing up for women in that way, I, I you know you can call me whatever you want to call me, but I'm I'm always going to to stand up for for lesbians and stand up for women in that way. But like I said, the intersectionality cult. There are things that they can't say. Um, there are things that they can't say uh, about radical Islam, you know, when, when they run into a gay bar and kill 49 of us. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can't say that. You got Jonathan Capehart running around talking about, oh, this guy was a closeted gay and this guy was this and this guy was that. And I'm like, that is completely ridiculous and not true. And we know that that's not true now. But the intersectionality cult will eat itself because they're t- they're, it, it, is, it is becoming to the point where there are too many things that they can't say. Mm-hmm. So people like you and I, have to say the things that they can't say. Is that doubly tough then for you as a gay black man? Because the culture, if we're talking about black culture and gay culture, yeah. there's so much humor, richness there, political incorrectness, yeah, yeah. all of these things. So for someone like you to be fed these these ideas yeah. that you've obviously rejected now, yeah. but to be fed these ideas that would stop you from joking the way you want to joke or saying something politically incorrect or yeah. the rest of it. It's like, like I remember go, when I would go to gay bars and there would be like a drag queen. Yeah. Now, I, 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 so again, I was never into it. I thought drag queens were all bad comics. Like they all struck me as just hack comics. That being said, they would say a ton of politically Absolutely. incorrect shit. They would mock gay people. They, I mean, they would mock everybody. That was the point. Yeah. Where now it's like I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the in the drag queen world these days. But it's like I'm guessing it's gotten pretty bad because uh, they're probably really afraid to of, say anything. Yeah. To be irreverent. I mean, I, I think that right now. I mean, I, I love drag. I yeah. love RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, yeah. I'm all about it. You know, my, my husband and I are big fans. Um, when I voted. Uh, for the, in the last election, I ended up voting for Gary Johnson, but I used to live in West Hollywood, so I had to go over there to, to vote. And yeah. I was standing behind RuPaul at the voters' wow. booth. Wow. Not in drag. And you want to talk about, like, and you want to talk about how crazy the left is. They let's, went at, let's, let's talk yeah. about RuPaul. Let's talk about the crazy blue check. This is the point. Crazies this is the point. on the LGBT left coming after RuPaul. Like, forgive me for being gay, mother, yeah. as they would say. <laughs> you come from mother. Yeah. And you you say that RuPaul is transphobic or she doesn't represent gays or whatever. What what, what was it that she said? It exactly? was okay. This is about, this there, is about a year and a half ago. I this is about a, a year and a half ago. Like um, RuPaul did an interview where she said she doesn't. Well, RuPaul he because RuPaul's a man. Yeah. RuPaul said he doesn't believe in in transgender women in drag because drag is supposed to be a male's elevated and comedic idea of what 
a woman is. Mm-hmm. And so they came after RuPaul for that. They came after there was a um, a segment on Drag Race called uh, She She Mail. Ooh, girl, you got She Mail. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so they came, the blue checks came after RuPaul for that. And so. It's really funny when I look at the RuPaul situation and we'll look at somebody who has done more for for LGBT culture than maybe anybody walking on this earth right now. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people are attacking him after everything that he's done tells me that these people are insane tells me that there's not enough and and if there's one thing that that I wouldn't even I don't know if this is a critique because I I love RuPaul and by all accounts I hear people say that Ru is amazing it's that like Ru kind of bended the, bended the knee a little bit oh you know, because he, he apologized Ru, Ru bended the knee a little bit um, um, to people coming for him and I want to get to a point where we are not bending the knee to the mob anymore yeah. they came after Ellen DeGeneres what so, lesbian on this planet has done more for freaking gay and lesbian visibility than Ellen DeGeneres you and know, they came after Ellen just because she sat down with um, Kevin, Hart, Kevin Hart for right. having the conversation yeah. with Kevin Hart and, and they came for Ellen and so this is what I say if they're coming for RuPaul and Ellen DeGeneres, they'll come for you or me. So, so I will never bend the knee. I was, um, we were supposed to have an, an LGBT conservative panel at the LGBT Center in New York City. Um, and when you know people found out about it, we got excommunicated from the center because we were all racist and alt-white and transphobic and all of that other stuff. And so I will never apologize for things that I say. I don't try to offend people, but you're certainly not going to control my tongue. And I'm not going to bend the knee to these people. And I'm really glad that Ellen didn't. And I hope RuPaul never does again because... These are two people that have done more for this community than anybody on the planet. Certainly not some blue check mark that writes for some blog. <laughs> right, 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 right. But we create this reverse, or this perverse, I should say, incentive structure, where it's like there's a lot of value for those blue checkers oh, to yeah. go after them because it's like, oh, you can wound one of the heroes. Yeah. Well, even if they were the ones that paved the road yeah. for you, yeah. wow, if you can build your castle on their blood. Yeah, you, you know, know. Car- Cardi B says they do anything for clout. Clout chasers, that's all they're doing. And... The, the fundamental critique that I have with, with a lot of these people, the, the clout chasers, is that the platforms are always built on destruction. It's mm-hmm. cancel culture. Mm-hmm. So everything is always built on, if I build a platform of, of let's say like 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, and my platform is completely built on tearing people down. Like, I'm gonna go after Dave Rubin because he's got 10 times my following and he said something I don't like, so maybe I'll get some attention for, for tearing him down. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if your platform is built on that, then you always have to look for new things to be offended by, new people to destroy, new clout to chase. And I don't think that it goes anywhere. Yeah. You know? So, well, it's also sad, right? It's like, it's deeply sad. I mean, I see this with some yeah. of these, this crew going after yeah. me all the time and I just ignore it, but yeah. it's like, the idea that you're waking up in the morning and going, what did Ruben say today so I can get man. some clicks? It's like, man, there's so many things going on in the world. Isn't that pathetic? Uh, yeah, and it's like, I'm not perfect and I've made mistakes in this very room yeah. on this show. But it's like, if you're waking up going, this is the guy we gotta go after. I, I, it I says feel, more about you than it says about me. It I does, and, and, I, and I feel sorry. I, I just, I, I feel sorry for their life because I just, there's nowhere to go from that. And I would like to use these opportunities that I'm getting right now to, I want to engage people, but I also want to empower people. Like, I want to empower my people. 
as much crap as, as Candace Owens gets, and man, she gets the, a level that I couldn't even dream of. Hmm. She is a true believer. She is really out here trying to empower people. She is really out here trying to wake people up. And I, I, um, I saw a Brene Brown special. I think her name is Brene Brown on, on Netflix. So she's this apparently enormously huge motivational speaker who I'd never heard of. Um, so she just got um, promoted to be on Netflix. So I decided to watch a little bit of, of the um, special. And she said that, and I think, she, I think this is a Theodore Roosevelt quote. She said that, don't worry about critiques that come from people who are not in the field who are not in the battle, who are not putting themselves out there in some way and trying to affect change in some way. And now that I've, saw, I've seen that, that's how I try to live my life. Because you can't take all these critiques. There's a point where you can get 90% of love from people and we'll focus on the 10% of hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You like know? when I was really doing stand-up, I always remember I could be killing like 300 people laughing hysterically. Yeah. If there's one guy looking at his phone, it's like, that's the guy I'm looking at. Yeah, that's yeah. Not, what, what are you doing? There's you a know? guy that was asleep in my lecture last oh. night. <laughs> did you call him out? I did. I yeah. said, I, I didn't call him out directly, but I was like giving my speech and I was like, you know, and, and I think that everybody needs to have conversations. Even that guy that's <laughs> sleeping over there. That's just funny. Did he wake up? He did. He did. It's all, all right, good. good. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't do more of this earlier, but tell me a little bit just about your service, having nothing to do with with all gay, of this stuff, black, um, any of that. Yeah, stuff. just you know, my service in general. I, I think that when I look back at the military service, what I regret is that you know people come up to you when you're a veteran and they thank you for your service, and like people call me a hero and all that other stuff. And I'm always uneasy by that. Because I didn't do anything particularly heroic. I, I was a, a young kid, um, just just trying to make it from one day to the next. I mean, I was doing things that I believed in. But when I look at some of these kids that are serving right now, and they're the same age I was, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, it's so much for a young person to take on. But for me, when I look back at it, and it just, it, it you know, I lost weight, and, and it gave me discipline, and it gave me kind of, that that strong male influence that was missing in my life and when i talk about my service it's not so much the day-to-day -day of what i did because it was really you know i did uh, one tour in kuwait i did one tour in iraq right after the invasion um you connect those dots you can get to that age question that you had <laughs> okay now i can put this all together yeah connect the dots it's okay yeah yeah um but when i look back to that we were just i was just trying to do the best that i could and everybody that I served with, we were just trying to do our best. And I, the people that are serving the military, they are heroes. From like you know, from the guy who captured Osama bin Laden and, and these these great men that you see these books from and all that stuff. But just the people that that give up three, four, five, sometimes twenty and twenty five years of their life to be of service in some way, like there is a very heroic element to that. And I think that with me and my service, I, I talk about it a lot and I talk about loving America because it has given me so much. Just that service has just put me onto a path that just sitting here with you right now and coming back from being with Candace and going to events in the White House, like what, <laughs> what poor black kid from Akron, Ohio could, could see that vision for himself? And the military put me on the path to doing all of these things. So I don't look at myself as heroic, but I look at all the people that are serving now as, as heroic. It's to me, it's it's very strange. I feel like I'm not giving you an answer, but no, no, it's I, very I, hard to reconcile 
who I am now with who I was then and to see that as anything other than a scared kid doing the best he could, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. And that feels like a nice ending. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I think that's a great ending. Absolutely. There you go. I, I don't know what I'm doing later, but there would be something if we just showed up at the Abbey in West Hollywood. Oh tonight, my God, just are the you two of us. Me? Could we find some other banded deplorable oh my God. freaks? And we should we should make it happen. We should we should make the the conservative gay meetup or something like that. We should make it happen. Classical liberal. Oh, that's right. Come Classical on. liberal. Come on in. For more on Rob, follow him on Twitter at Rob Smith Online.